Are you an Enneagram coach or an organization that regularly uses the Enneagram? Do you find it confusing trying to keep track of everyone's tests and their scores and who you've sent what? Crosspoint Ministry has created a simple and optimized solution with their new coaching dashboard. With the coaching dashboard, you can invite people to take the WEPS test in Crosspoint's clean and easy-to-read format and immediately view and track their results. No emails, no hassle, everything in one place. And you can purchase tests at a discounted rate. To find out more about Crosspoint's coaching dashboard, just go to crosspointministry.com slash Enneacast. This is an indispensable tool for anyone who works with the Enneagram. Again, go to crosspointministry.com slash Enneacast and sign up today. At the time, I was very, in my hot head, a little self-righteous about the situation that I was like, well, I was right. I was right about the rules and I wasn't even mean about it. Sure, that's true. But the reality is rules aren't actually uh, the goal. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and we are now going to start making our way through each of the types in our series on conflict. So today, we're starting off talking about type ones and conflict. Traditionally, we always start with the heart triad, but you ones are always so patient. We thought (laughs) that we would apply a little biblical teaching here and let the last be first. The truth is we arm wrestled and I won. And so we did the <laughs> yeah, ones first. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, let's kick things off with type ones. A quick refresher. Type ones, when they're healthy, they're honest, they're ethical, they're hardworking, they are intense, and they're also very practical. Right. But when they're unhealthy, they can become overly critical. And that's going to feel like judgment to the people around them. They become really strict on themselves. They have black and white thinking. They can come across as preachy and not very adaptable, sort of rigid. Yeah. So we know that conflict can come from anywhere. Like if you're breathing oxygen, Mm -hmm. you're going to encounter conflict. Every relationship, every situation, it is inevitable. So there's this question of like how can we approach conflict better, Mm -hmm. better as people, better for our relationships. And according to James chapter 4, a lot of our conflict actually comes from our warring desires inside Mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. So what is the desire of a one? The one has a core desire to have integrity, to be good, to be the same person in public as they are in private, the same person on the outside as they are on the inside. So the way they try to achieve that desire is by strictly following the rules. They have this thought that if I follow all the rules, which is like a subtext that there is a rule for everything, which there actually right. isn't. Right. Like parenting, for instance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but if I follow all the right rules, then I will be considered good. Yeah. I will consider myself good and other people will consider me as good. Yeah. So for one, you know, conflict is naturally going to arise when they think that they're being perceived 
as not doing the right things, Mm -hmm. whether they perceive themselves as not doing the right things or other people. A little note here that true guilt and false guilt feel Mm. the exact same. And the one often has a hard time distinguishing those two things apart. If you go back to episode number 64 that we did with Nate Bebout, he talked about the fighting words for one. And if you want to stir up conflict with one, tell them, hey, you're cheating, you're being unfair, you're doing that wrong. Mm -hmm. That is really going to activate the one. Yeah. So funny story. Whenever anybody says, hey, can I talk to you? Like a text. It can be anyone. My mother-in-law, who is so sweet. You, Jesse, at work. Or even Kiana, who's my good friend. Anybody says, hey, can I talk to you, you know, in five minutes or whatever. I instantly feel guilt. Like I instantly think I did something wrong. Yeah. And there's going to be a conflict. And so I need to like kind of get my hackles up. Like I need to, not that I'm going to fight, but that I'm going to just be prepared to receive Whatever conflict. So if you ever come in my office and you look like you're bracing yourself, it's, yeah. it's, 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 you know. Well, if you haven't noticed that I'm bracing myself, that just means you haven't noticed. Because <laughs> it's definitely happened where you're like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I'm uh-huh. like, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm like, hey, I have a piece of good news for you. You're like, yeah. I'm going to die. Or you'll be like, hey, what do you think about when fours do this? And I'm like, oh, oh it has nothing to do with me at all. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. when conflict does happen, what do we want to do? We want to remember Jesus's view of conflict that we talked about back in episode 65. And that is that healthy conflict is good. Healthy conflict is transformative. And healthy conflict is an opportunity to love. So with those three things, those three views that we're asking each type to adopt, let's take a look at these two things. First, how does type one tend to approach conflict? And second, how does the one tend to resolve conflict? So how does this type tend to approach conflict? Well, when we're looking at how the one approaches conflict, we want to look at their social style. Which is like literally the way that they socialize, the way that they relate to other people. Mm -hmm. And we all have our different means and ways. So for the one, it's what? For the one, they're a part of what Rizzo and Hudson call the compliant triad. So this is types one, two, and six. And all of these people try to internalize the rules and principles of society in order to get what they want. So for once, that looks like taking on morality, looking at things good versus bad. And I want to always be on the side of good. Yeah. So when it comes to conflict, ones are going to be focused on what is right. So in other words, they want the ends to be correct, Mm -hmm. but also they want the means to be correct. Mm -hmm. And so other people may go like the ends justify the means. Like the one is not going to roll like that. They're going to think, no, I want to do this correctly, and I want the end result to be correct as well. Right. And that goes back to that integrity piece that we talked about is I don't just want my outsides to be good. I need the inside to be good as well. And so I'm constantly motivated to keep things on both sides, on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're going to do what they believe is best, even if it means sacrificing their own wants, because who cares about our own wants if... It's the wrong thing. If Mm -hmm. I want the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. Right. So being in the compliant triad also means that some of these people avoid conflict. For one that might look like if they do their work better than anyone else, no one will need to have conflict with them. So if they are perfect, if they're doing things above reproach, then no one will ever have anything to say against them. Yeah. Which, as you could 
guess is going to make it really hard if someone does have something to say mm-hmm. against them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're trying to stay ahead of the reprimand. Yes. Um, but the challenge with this is that under stress, ones can escalate their principles into a perfectionism and a workaholism mm-hmm. where enough is never enough. You know, that could have been done better. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always things that need to be reformed. It's sort of like an addiction to reforming. And yeah. it can come across as like, heavy-handed criticism. Mm -hmm. Yes, they can become really critical, which I think most people really struggle with with once because they can dish it out, but they can't take it. You know, and that's hard to understand that it's not really hypocrisy. It's just that inner critic. Again, it's when they're in that stress place, they have allowed the volume of the inner critic to go all the way to full blast. And so it's pouring out of them. It's surging through them. Mm -hmm. But the gift of the one is that they usually don't get bogged down in emotion or talking in circles when they're in a conflict because they like procedures and they will want to approach conflict systematically. So those are some of the ways that a one approaches conflict. Let's look at how a one resolves conflict. So in addition to the social style triad, each type is also a part of what Rizzo and Hudson call a conflict resolution style triad. And the one's conflict resolution style is competency. So the competency style triad is types one, three, and five, and they want to solve problems using their objectivity. So when there's conflict, their first instinct is actually to use logic and analysis to discuss and solve the presenting challenge. So their gift is that ones can see and implement really great solutions to problems. So these huge problems come up, and they literally can look at the the facts of the situation and go, okay, I can know how to solve this, and it doesn't need to be this big sort of emotional, reactive, Mm -hmm. you know, bombastic situation. They can just be very calm and collected. Let's Let's just fix it. Right. But their challenge is that they can get bogged down in the details. Yeah. They want to make sure everything is right rather than moving forward. So they might get stuck demanding it be exactly right or a certain way or even, you know, the procedures of how we go about it. So they can get really stuck sometimes. Yeah. So folks in the competency triad can benefit from having people willing to put a limit to their emotional responses and eventually dig into the work of practical solutions. Uh, so if you're going into conflict with a one, remember, keep the conversation productive instead of demanding emotional responses. So listen to the one's thoughts, their criticisms, their judgments, without assuming an intention to hurt you. Assume positive intent. Mm-hmm. Assume that the one is not doing this because they're after you, but they're after the, the best outcome possible. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to avoid personal attacks. As Lindsay just said, the one already attacks themselves quite a bit because of their inner critic. And when you add on to the pile, it can really, really beat them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're not going to see a positive result when yeah. you ignite the inner critic for yeah. the one. So be very gentle when you're coming to a one. Make sure that you have lots of positive praise and that you're very gentle with the criticisms mm-hmm. because um, you may not always see it, but they are always criticizing themselves. Right. And just one last word to the competency triad for the ones, the threes and the fives. All three of those types, they really do tend to stifle emotion, not just in conflict, but in general. And so we want to encourage those types, 
you don't have to have a huge emotional response, but it wouldn't hurt to ask yourself, what am I feeling? You know, what is going on within me before or after a conflict? And do take into account the feelings of the other person. Yeah. Because especially if you're dealing with a two or a four or even maybe a six, I mean, all of us have emotions at the end of the day. And so it is important, even though it's great to be competent and move forward, it's also nice to check in with the human side of people. For sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so that is a one's preferred way to resolve conflict, but let's talk some about ways that they can grow in resolving conflict. So just a reminder about the gospel message for the one. If a one's desire is to have integrity, in other words, to be good, God responds to them with the healing message that you are good just as you are. Jesus's work on your behalf means that the one can rest in him and his goodness is bestowed on them. Right. I can't think about this healing message without thinking of Psalm 139. Like every single time we talk about it, I just think, yeah, like we're all beautifully and wonderfully made. And I know it sounds cheesy because we've heard that verse. We've seen it on every little But we hear it because it's so beautiful. Right. It is kind of the perfect verse for the Enneagram because each of us is looking for a way to be loved, accepted, and feel safe in who we are, but we don't. So we've taken on these extra coping mechanisms to make our way and get something that is almost the real thing. You know, it's good enough, but it's not the real thing. And so we have all these bypasses and things that we take on to get what we want, but then we don't really get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the work of the Enneagram is actually scaling back on those things in order to hear that message of actually... I made you the way you are. I yeah. made you to be higher in emotion. I made you to be lower in emotion. I made you to move fast. I made you to move slow. Like we need all the types in balance. Mm-hmm. And so for the one, I really feel that knowing how rigid we can be and how hard it can be to move through life, really to take that on of you are really good just as you are. Like it's okay. You're going to be loved yeah, just as you are. Yeah. We talk about to avoid falling into that unhealthy side, the deadly sin, which for one is anger, often looks like resentment. Ones are great at using code words for anger, like I'm just really irritated. Right, right, right. Frustrated or stressed. You know, we use all those words, but really it's anger. The one needs to exercise patience. You know, they need to slow down assess the situation internally and externally. And recognize like God will complete the good work that he started. Mm -hmm. And so we don't need to feel the compulsion to fix everything and to fix it immediately. God is at work and we can trust that he's moving at the exact pace he intends to be moving at. Mm -hmm. So what are ways that ones can exercise this in conflict? Make room for the failures of others. Other people are flawed. They're deeply flawed people with big issues in life. So leave room for people to be able to make mistakes without catastrophic consequences coming Mm -hmm. at them. But the same thing is true for you. Like, know that you're allowed to be a broken, confused, Mm -hmm. you know, incomplete, mixed motive person. Like, Mm -hmm. God is not shocked by that. So allow room for the failures of others as well as failures for yourself. Right. Also, try to open your view to understand that there's more than one way to approach a conflict and there's more than one way to resolve a conflict and there might be more than one answer 
to the conflict. So your way isn't always right. It isn't always right versus wrong. Sometimes there's a lot more nuance. So that's part of that patience is expanding your view. Be patient to hear the other person's view to know, actually, that would work fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. So we're recommending a breath prayer for each of the types, either before they go into conflict, during Mm -hmm. conflict, coming out of conflict, a means by which each of the types can recenter themselves on God Mm -hmm. and their own truest identity. Mm -hmm. So what's our recommendation for the breath prayer for ones? So our recommendation is as you breathe in, take a big, deep breath. God, you are good. And then as you exhale, and I am good enough. You know, you have made me good. Yeah. Okay, so that is our teaching on conflict and type one. However, we would love to explore this with somebody. And so we have a special guest today. Our guest today is John Meese. John is an entrepreneur who helps train and equip others to build thriving businesses from scratch. He's the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, Survive and Thrive, how to build a profitable business in any economy, including this one. He lives in Tennessee with his wife and three boys, and he is a one on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for letting me uh, listen in on that lesson. I, uh, I'm i smarter and wiser for it. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, we try. We try. <laughs> well, let's start here. When did you first encounter the Enneagram, and what insights did you gain from it? Sure. It was, um, well, let's see. It was years ago. Uh, maybe it was 2017, somewhere around then. Um, which, by the way, you can look this up if you search like the Enneagram and Google Trends, and you can look at kind of like when it was having this massive peak in the U.S. Then you can dive into which parts of the country it was spiking in the most. You can just see a graph right there of when I learned about the Enneagram, because in Tennessee, especially like the Nashville area, everybody was talking about the Enneagram. So, oh, that's so that's funny, fascinating. Yeah. So I learned about it probably first from Michael Hyatt, you know, good friend, and I was at the time working, you know, coming in to work on his leadership team for a few years. And the whole team was talking about the Enneagram, and I was like, what is this? I took a quiz about the Enneagram, and then Michael asked me, he said, hey, did you find out your type? And I said, yeah, Um, you know, I took it. He said, I I said, I took the test three times. Uh, Twice I got that I'm an Enneagram two, and once that I got a one. So I think that means I'm a two. And he said, actually, I think you should probably go back and look at which of those Enneagram types would take the assessment three times. (laughs) That's That's good. So that's how I found that I was an Enneagram one. And um, honestly, it gave me a lot of empathy and understanding. First in my marriage, where at the time my wife and I had only been married for four or five years, and she's an Enneagram nine, and we were just trying to understand each other. And that was a, just opened our eyes really to being able to love each other and love ourselves better. You know, we've it's been a core tool in our marriage, and even in my business and work relationships over the last really ever since then. So I guess about five years. That's awesome. Hey, well, listen, stay with us because when we come back, we are going to continue our conversation with John Meese. We'll be right back. Hey, listeners, it's Anna. Over the past seven years, we've had over 300 alumni serve in our urban missions program who've come from all around the United States. This is Ifama from Austin, Texas. Larissa from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hi, this is J.C. Williams from Louisville, Kentucky. This is Tabitha from Lincolnton, Georgia. They've provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. And along their service journey, they have the opportunity to experience deep community and discipleship that prepare them for their next season of life. 
like Hannah Eland from Upland, Indiana, shared with us. My time at LTN was a stepping stone for my development in my professional life. I firmly believe that every single person does kingdom work. You don't have to work at a nonprofit to do this. And the amazing thing is that God invites us into his story of justice for our broken society. He uses us to carry this out, and it's such a privilege. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, Come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the IndiaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And Lindsay Lewis. We have been talking with John Meese. John, did any aspect of the teaching time resonate with you? Is there anything that you'd want to emphasize or add? I love the really just kind of hearing how you frame it. It makes a lot of things make sense. A couple of things that really stuck out to me as you were saying how, you know, one side effect of the number one's kind of approach to conflict and relationships is that they're great in groups with clear rules. And, you know, Maybe talking to a less aware version of myself, I would say, like, just embrace that, that mm. you're great in groups with clear rules. For a long time, I just felt, well, like I was doing something wrong or like something was broken because there were people around me that were obviously having fun and being able to be friends in situations without clear boundaries, without clear rules. And here I was, you know, on the sidelines going like, well, that looks fun, but I don't know how to do that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, there's something wrong with me. But really, over time, I've just embraced the fact that I'm drawn to situations with clear rules. And so, you know, I'm the CEO of my own company where I get to write the rules. That's kind of nice. But mm. but even in my in my faith, I'm, I'm a devout Christian, but I'm specifically an Eastern Orthodox Christian, which has 2,000 years of writings on how to live a good Christian life. And you've got very clear guidelines on really anything you want to explore. And that's somewhere where I thrive. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that definitely stuck out to me when I think about kind of where where I am and why I got here. It's interesting hearing you talk, though, because I'm curious about, you know, we're using the word rules, but I'm also thinking just about, like, form and structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, in order to get to a certain destination, there's a process. Mm -hmm. And these guidelines, stipulations, this form, this structure is how we will achieve that, not by just Mm -hmm. wandering off into the woods, you know? Yeah, there's sort of a predictability about that. Yeah, the word I've used most to describe what you're talking about is protocol. Yeah. It's sort of like the kind of the unspoken rules, you know, like that when you're in a situation which I've internalized over the years. And, you know, that's something that's really important to me is that when I walk into a room, I'm looking around to understand, okay, where are we? What's going on? What's the protocol? How do I fit in here? And once I feel like I understand the protocol, then I can, you know, I can make people laugh and I can, you know, like I'm not just walking around with a rule book and a, you know, uh, you know, a clipboard and a piece of paper, you know, pushing my glasses up my nose to, <laughs> like, I, I am actually pretty funny and kind of an enjoyable person to spend time with but i have to know the protocol first otherwise i'm i'm stressed and i'm i'm tense and mm. i'm not a lot of fun to be around and i don't have to be in charge either i love being somewhere where i'm not in charge as long as it's clear who is in charge mm-hmm. what i can't stand is being in a group where kind of no one's in charge and like you know like there's no real guidelines and no one's in charge we're just kind of doing a thing and then it just that that stresses me out a lot Yes, I completely agree with all those things you just said. I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so as you heard, this episode is part of our series on conflict. How do you personally feel when conflict arises? Do you tend to fight or avoid or comply? 
Well, I thought it was interesting that you said that the number one social style is like the compliant triad, mm-hmm. which I recognize is a little bit different from the conflict style. But I got really excited about that because no, I guess in my mind, my approach is to comply. But depending upon who I'm talking to or how mature I am in, in the moment and what our relationship might be, over the years, I've often been interpreted as fighting Yeah, just by how I respond to someone. So I would say, yeah, I, I tend to comply. I'm always looking for a solution, but that doesn't always go over well. It depends on the situation. <laughs> so John, can you tell us about a time where you had a conflict and you saw yourself acting out of the unhealthy side of your type? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, what I think about mostly are professional conflicts over the years. I mean, I could think back to, so when I was first promoted at Chick-fil-A at 17 years old to being a team leader, which is like a junior manager, Mm-hmm. Um, I was really good at my job. There's a very clear playbook. I was a really hard worker. I was not arrogant, but I was perceived as arrogant as others, and I wasn't yet. I didn't yet already have the knowledge. So now I know people can perceive me as arrogant. So I can kind of overcompensate, throw in some self-deprecating humor, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but that's the uh, protocol. Yeah, that's the protocol. But I didn't know the protocol at the time. I didn't. I was like, I don't get it. Yeah, I could think of a very specific conflict there where uh, I walked over to a team member in the, and I thought I was. I mean, at the time, as a 17-year-old, I was being as emotionally – well, really, actually, I took my emotions out of it, which I thought was what you're supposed to do, mm. to kind of approach the situation and say, you know, hey, would you like to go – you know, would you like to for me to take the drive through window for you for a minute so you can go to the back and take a drink of water? I mean, I'm thinking I'm being nice. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I don't need a drink. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, um, well you, you know, you were just drinking out of that cup up here. And she's like, no, I wasn't. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just saw you drinking out of that cup. And she's like, no, I wasn't. I'm like, okay, well – all right, we're not going to argue about that. That's fine. Just you understand it's a health code violation. You're not allowed to drink in the same area where we serve customers food. So if you are thirsty, just let me know. You can go to the back. I'll cover for you. And you can, you know, you can just take a break and go, go get a sip. And she just looks and she just got so mad at me. I mean, she just, she looked at me and she said, how dare you talk to me like that? You were a child. Mm. And, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> and I just was shocked. I literally, I don't think I said anything. I just kind of stared at her for a minute and walked away. She walks to the back and uh, she, you know, yells at the manager, you know, how, how can you put him in charge? I can't believe all this kind of stuff. And she's like, look, he's, a, he's doing his job. I mean, from her perspective, she's like, when you're describing the situation to me, she's like, it sounds kind of like he was just doing his job. And so she storms out. And so she had worked there for seven years. Her and I were the exact same rank, actually. She was also a team leader. And she, but she was much older than me. She was, I was 17. She was probably in her late 30s. She stormed out and never came back. Oh, wow. She quit on the spot. I, at the time, I was very in my head a little self-righteous about the situation that I was like, well, I was right. You know, like I was right about the rules and I wasn't even mean about it. (laughs) Sure. That's true. But the reality is rules are, rules aren't actually uh, the goal. Rules are Mm -hmm. just a path to accomplishing the goal. And the goal in this place is to connect to people and Chick-fil-A specifically, their mission statement is not actually to sell God's chicken. Although that's a funny joke. Um, Their mission statement is to glorify God by having a positive impact on everyone who comes into contact with Chick-fil-A. Mm. And in that moment, I did not have a positive impact on that person. Mm. Mm. And so in doing so, I allowed the rules to get in the way of serving the purpose for me being there. Unfortunately, she was not the last. That was a pattern that repeated every, you know, periodically throughout my professional history for the first five or 10 years of just like thinking everything was fine. Then all of a sudden, either someone quitting or me having to fire somebody over some irre- irreconcilable conflict that it, mm. before the Enneagram, honestly, I couldn't explain it. It was just because it, it was illogical. Wow. Yeah, that's helpful. It's helpful the the notion of, you know, getting fixated on the rules mm-hmm. at the expense mm-hmm. of the bigger picture, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is 
here's this coworker who's worked here a long time, who has more experience than I do. And I have lots of ways I could approach the situation, but I'm going to cling to the rule Mm -hmm. instead of exploring these other avenues that may require me to slow down and think through Mm -hmm. it and nuance things. And, but, uh, but in your defense, you were 17. Yes. You know, I know, all, I know. All of us, but that's all not of really us, a man. good. That's not really a good defense for Enneagram One. I don't know any Enneagram One that says like, well, you know, when I was 12, it didn't have to follow the rules. No, no, no. Yes. We're, <laughs> right? Well, we'll say it for you. You you were 17. Yes. It's okay. <laughs> Can you tell us about a conflict that you had where you saw yourself acting out of the healthy side of your type? What was some of the key differences between maybe when you were younger, not as healthy, you've grown, you learned a little bit. Tell us about a time that you engaged healthy conflict. Sure. Um, so my operations director, my integrator, and I, we had a, you know an experience where you know I asked him to put together some projects and kind of map out how we were going to do them, and then we jumped on a meeting and he was mapping out, okay, you know, here's this Asana thing, and here's this big project, and here's this big project, and about forty minutes into this meeting, I look at him and I say, this is a ridiculous, this is a lot of work. This is a, it's a huge list of work, and he said, yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell you. It's just too much. I'm like, mm-hmm. and then in my, and then my first reaction is like. Well, why didn't we start there? And so we kind of had this moment of like, I'm like, we just wasted 40 minutes of time. You could have just started by telling me like, hey, we're overcommitted and we need to reevaluate. But he was trying to make the case because he knew that I valued logic. Mm-hmm. So we paused. We both looked at each other and recognized that in that moment, it was it was a tense moment. And said, and I said, hey, how about we clear our calendar tomorrow mornings and we meet in the conference room and we make a plan to move forward? He said, that's great. And mm-hmm. so we ended the meeting. And then the next morning, so the time has passed. Some time had passed. We came in. We we're both fresh. Looked at each other, her, and said, "And I said, hey, you know, thank you so much for everything." And basically, the key is, I started by with gratitude, mm-hmm. acknowledging the hard work that he'd done, and then just checking in emotionally with him too, of like, "How are you feeling?" And he told me, he said, oh, "He said I told my wife last night, like, hey, John and I just had our first like big rub." He said, "I'm glad we got that out of the way. We can work through this now." Um, mm. And so we could check in and kind of laugh about that. And then I could explain also like putting that conflict in context. And so mm-hmm. I think the biggest difference is that I've just learned that I can't go straight to problem solving no matter how much I want to unless I first really just clear the air with the other person by making sure that A, we're both neutral and B, if we've had conflict, we could put that conflict into some sort of context. Generally, I prefer to put conflict in the context of we learned something. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an example of a conflict I had where... It's very different. It's more of a, I think, I think a healthier side of my personality. Yeah, that's great. How do you feel like knowing the Enneagram helped you in conflict, like in that specific situation even? Yeah. How did the Enneagram inform you? Oh, I wish everyone would wear like a t-shirt or a hat or a name tag that said their Enneagram <laughs> number on it. Yeah. Because it is a little useful. No, it's a lot useful to know my own Enneagram type, but it's much more useful to know the other person I'm talking to, their Enneagram mm-hmm. type. And so in this case, he's an Enneagram too. And I knew based on that, like, okay, he worked hard to do something to help me. It did not help me, but I need to acknowledge the hard work and also give him a path to how to better help me because that's where he, that's where he's coming from as an Enneagram too. And mm-hmm. once we could check that box, he was excited about it. So I think that's honestly, with any team I work with, I try to learn everyone's Enneagram type because that's just, it's learning that allows me to um, individualize how I speak to them and how I work with them to, you know, help everyone feel safe and special. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, because I'm thinking about in that conflict in particular, you know, if you have a conflict with an Enneagram too, and you're jumping past any level of gratitude, mm-hmm. like if you know that a twos are sensitive to feeling uh, taken advantage of being, right. you know, taken for granted, 
and you're jumping straight to criticism, like you're basically opening the back door for the two mm-hmm. and saying, you can go ahead and leave anytime you want. Like, <laughs> right. and so starting with gratitude, that's good self-awareness. Like we need mm-hmm. to focus on a practical solution, but I'm going to slow down enough to recognize you have slightly different needs than I do. And I need to honor that. Yeah. Hey, in the midst of a conflict, what is one thing that you wish everybody knew about you or about your type? Honestly, just that we're just that we're, we're loving people. I think that like every Enneagram one I know is a very loving person who is commonly misunderstood mm. for one way or another. And I think that if that was the one filter that someone could add to talking to Enneagram one and just say like, I'm talking to someone who loves me, then I think that would probably change how conflict mm. is resolved. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that. So the virtue for this type is patience. How do you think that patience helps your type approach conflict in a healthier way? Well, um, so Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning talks about patience or what he calls the pause between mm-hmm. stimulus and response as what makes us human, right? Like animals have stimulus and then response. You know, they, they hear a loud noise and they snarl and bite. Um, what makes us human is the pause between stimulus and response. That's something I think about every day and I try to mm-hmm. extend the pause for me between stimulus and response because the reality is that that's the only human way to approach conflict. And so that's where patience, I think, comes into mm. conflict. Yes, that's great. Well, this has been good. You've offered a ton of insights into just what it is like to be a type one mm-hmm. and engaging in conflict. We learned so much from both our failures as well as our successes. Mm-hmm. In fact, we often learn more from our failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem to mm-hmm. embed themselves deeper into our, our memories. So, John, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think it's time for us to goof off a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that, you know, Enneagram One, we're going to invite you to have some fun, my mm-hmm. friend. Yeah, let's, let's channel the security then and go put on that seven hat. Right? That's yes. right. That's right. So stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing Pick Your Poison with John Meese. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the Enneacast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Pick Your Poison. Okay, our game today is called Pick Your Poison. Here's how it works. John, each round I'm going to give you two options. Both options are going to be difficult or just plain horrible. Uh, You have to decide which option you would go for in real life. So it's sort of like, would you rather? But before you give us your answer, Lindsay and I are each going to guess which option we think you're going to choose. Okay. If one of us matches your answer, that person gets a point. 
Oh. We're going to play three rounds. Lindsay, are you, are you ready to beat me? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Round one, your options are, would you rather sing everything you say or only be able to whisper? So, before you answer, Lindsay, what do you think John is going to choose? Sing everything you say or only be able to whisper? I'm going to go with whisper. Why? Because you can do a really fierce whisper. Like, like with your uh, kids, you're like, if you don't be quiet right now. You know what they call that? That's Batman voice. Okay, there you go. Whereas <laughs> singing, vengeance. like I'm picturing him being this like entrepreneur, like talking to people and like leadership mm-hmm. and he only can sing. I mean, that would be yeah, sort of crushing. Yeah, it'd be sort of ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> and funny. Yeah, and funny. Uh, I'm also going to go with Whisper. I think that he would figure out like a clever way to, uh, you know, to turn it into like, Hey, I'm a sultry business guide here <laughs> to lead you to success. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. NPR voice. He'd have NPR yes. voice. That's what it is. Uh, okay, John, would you rather sing everything you say or only be able to whisper? You're both wrong. I already sing almost everything I oh! say. <laughs> what? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that is way too happy for a one. So what is going on here? What is we going on? We should have asked him his seventh score before we oh, went on. Oh, man. <laughs> that was incredible. Yes. So I think he should get a point because we didn't get I sing business channel music at my church and I majored in musical theater in college before I switched to a much more practical economics and Spanish degree. Um, what? You, yeah. my friend. Our wow. bag of mystery. You are. That's incredible. <laughs> wow. Wow, I love this so much. I've actually seriously thought about becoming like the Bo Burnham of entrepreneurship. Like just like nothing but like <laughs> musical comedy. I mean, That's I've had strategy crazy. meetings about this. So uh, <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna seriously, I think that, that idea is genius and you should absolutely go for it. I think that is Gosh. I think that is brilliant. Wow. Wonderful. Okay, round two. Well, that was a surprising that round. That was a surprise. Okay. Round two. <laughs> round two. We both lose. Uh always have clothes that are extremely wrinkled no matter how much you iron them, or have every text you receive immediately read aloud by your phone. Well, now I'm questioning everything because of the last one. I know, right? So, Lindsay, would he rather have clothes that are extremely wrinkled no matter how much he irons them, or would he rather have every text that he receives immediately read aloud by (laughs) his phone? Well, I was going to say text. That's what I was going to go for. But I think I'm going to do a reversal just in case he's going to surprise us again and say wrinkled clothes. So you're saying wrinkled clothes? I'm saying wrinkled clothes. Here's the problem. See, I asked you first, and so it's going to seem like I'm following Cheating you, again. But I'm not. Yeah, sure. I was going to say wrinkled clothes. I, <laughs> I'm just imagining him sitting in business meetings. Yes. And like, whatever. His mm-hmm. kids, three years from now, are yep. texting him, and they're like, poopy fart fart. And exactly. he's like getting like exactly. texts in like the middle of his, you know, business meeting or whatever. Yes. I know. I was picturing his wife texting him like a doctor's update on one of his children. Right. In the middle of a big... Right. Exact meeting or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. John, would you choose always have clothes that are extremely wrinkled, no matter how much you iron them, or have every text you receive immediately read aloud by your phone? 100% the texts. I'm sorry. I'm, like, oh! I'm, not, I'm not trying to ruin the, ruin the game for you. Like, legitimately. No, epic. Legitimately. I mean, I, I I was looking at my phone. I'm like, okay, do I, do I just start reading texts aloud to prove like, my point? Like, I don't <laughs> 
My thought was that one would never have any shady texts. John, are you an Enneagram four in disguise? Are you just? Are you <laughs> I just? I think he's being a seven. Different? I think he might be a Man. seven. No, I'm, I'm definitely a one. I'm just a very secure one. But um, that's good. But also, I would never. I mean, wrinkly clothes. I mean, I'm, I, I was looking down. Unfortunately, my shirt right now is a little bit too wrinkled. But that's because I bought one of those shirts that's supposed to be like oh. wrinkle free. Mm. Yeah, baloney. Um, baloney. So, I love this so Let, much. I want to I want to pause for just a moment. I had a roommate once. In retrospect, she was an Enneagram one, and she ironed her jeans. Yeah, mm. is that a I dry thing? cleaned my jeans for a good couple years. Yeah, I ironed my jeans. Well, the first time, the when they're first out of the wash. Yeah. Can I let you in on how the rest of us see that? I ironed my. Those t-shirts. are the actions of psychopaths. <laughs> who irons their jeans? I have a friend who irons her sheets. People that value order and and sanity, that's who irons their jeans, okay? Oh, man, man. Well, I God, just think they're more comfortable God when you iron yeah. them. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? They're not all stiff. Like, the steam, like, loosens them up. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know exactly They're what jeans. you're talking about. Cowboys wear them. I'm not a yeah, cowboy. But, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, we got to move on. We got to move okay, on. Okay, okay. All right, I'll read round three so you can stop your cheating ways. Uh. <laughs> all right. Would you rather have all your illnesses treated by a 12th century doctor or be locked in an insane asylum and have to prove your sanity? Like he can only get out when he proves his insanity. When he proves, <laughs> proves his, his sanity, sanity, not his insanity. <laughs> Prove his sanity. Um, I think that he would choose the insane asylum because oh, I wow. think he would effectively prove he is very his sanity. Yeah, I'm I, going with the doctor. You think he'd choose a 12th century doctor? Yeah. Here's some leeches for you. Yeah. Well, I do use essential oils, so maybe that's why I choose that. Uh-huh. It's the same. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the doctor shows up with what are those those big bird masks you know, that the doctors <laughs> yes! used to wear in those the Middle creepy. Ages? Yeah. Okay. So, John, would you rather be treated by a 12th century doctor or be locked in an insane asylum until you could prove your sanity? I guess what you don't know is that my greatest fear is water and, all, and like, aquatic things, especially those that, like, like leeches like that suck your blood oh, okay yeah 100% insane asylum and honestly oh if they don't God. believe yeah, you me, choose the insane asylum yeah, yeah 100%. you would 100% it, honestly if, even if they didn't believe me I'm like it just means what I get more alone time like <laughs> like I could read I could write like they let you do those things I think no. this place is like a resort no you guys have not watched enough scary movies about <laughs> asylums I mean, you didn't say 12th century in St. Asylum. That would be That's different. what I should have said. That yeah. would have been. If, if they were both 12th century, then I think that one of those is just like like a dungeon. I don't know. Yes. In that case, All I right. might roll the dice one way or the other. All right, Jesse, I happily present you with the first point of Thank the game. You. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm enjoying letting you have that point. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's growth. That's growth. All right. And now it's time for five final questions. First question, who are two people that you currently admire? No biblical characters allowed. Uh, Mike Michalowicz and Ray Dalio. Tell, tell us about them. Well, I don't know Ray Dalio, but I think he's an Enneagram One. And I went through a period of life where I was like searching for Enneagram One role models, especially in like public, because Enneagram Ones are kind of, you know, usually they're like, oh, they're like the perfectionist in the corner. They probably work on the bookkeeping team. That's not really useful to me. 
Yeah. So I read a lot of Ray Dalio's book, like his book on principles is basically his like, it's literally like his list of rules for life that he created. Um, pretty sure he's an Enneagram one. So he's a very accomplished uh, investor and leader and writer, but also he's one of the few people I can find like at a very public level who I, who I have a hunch are a social one like me. Mm, that's great. I am pretty sure Mike Michalowicz is not. He's probably an Enneagram three. He's published really a growing collection of books like Profit First and Fix This Next and others that are really phenomenal frameworks for business owners. And it really furthers my own goal of you know helping entrepreneurs. So I actually went as far as getting certified in his Fix This Next program just because I wanted to get to know him and get to know his uh, stuff more. Awesome. awesome. Love it. Okay, number two, how do you like to waste time? Okay, can you please find me an Enneagram one who would agree to wasting time? I know. Um, I do choose to invest my playtime in learning ukulele, but then for real, oh. yeah, I play, I've never performed it, but I play it for myself. But uh, for real lately, it's been watching New Girl. My wife and I kind of stumbled on that show and it's been a lot <laughs> yeah. of fun. So we've wasted a lot of time watching that. My wife and I watch New Girl all the time. We could sit around and make sh- uh, Schmidt jokes all the time if you It's want. very funny. And she also sings almost everything she does. So I feel like oh, a lot of true. Uh, connection. Oh, that's true. That's compatible. I love that you said that's how you invest your playtime. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank and you. if we had known that you played the ukulele, I feel like we would have needed a solo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't have it in the office, so. Next time. Question number three. What's on your nightstand right now? The five-minute journal and the daily stoic on my Kindle. Mm, very nice. Number four. What is an important lesson you've learned from failing? Are you familiar with the classic song, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba? <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> yes. I get are. knocked down, but I get oh, up again. Yeah. You ain't ever gonna keep me down. <laughs> That's called tub thumping by Chumbawamba. I that love is an that. important lesson that I've learned from falling. That's I great. literally will play that song on like a rough day or during. I filmed a music video of like my kids and I knocking each other down on a trampoline and jumping back up during like the 2020 lockdown. I'm trying to like hear our team up. <laughs> like, what that to do? That is awesome. That's yeah. amazing. Okay, number five. What would you like to hear God say to you when you die? Well done, good and faithful servant, which mm. is in Matthew 25, 23. And he says, like, he'll say that if you like, you know, our good steward and such. So working mm. on that one. Mm. So great. good. Hey, this has been awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's my pleasure. Please keep up the good work. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, John Meese. For more content from John, including his book, Survive and Thrive, as well as his podcast, Thrive School, check out his website at johnmeese.com. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry, who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was edited by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Rachel Zabo is our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.